that I, is this on? I can talk loud. Oh, there it is. Okay, good. I know that young man. He does a pretty good job, even if it does has to change the songs his father asks him to sing. But anyway, it's a great day. I'm glad that you're, you're here. Our worship, I believe, is pleasing to God. I believe we set it forth in a good way. It's pleasing to God. As we've announced, we do have a, a guest speaker with us. If you were here for the Bible class hour in the auditorium, you know how blessed we are thus far. Paul Shiro is one of the truly, I think, a gifted storyteller and communicator and gospel preacher in a lot of ways. Brother Paul Shiro's from San Angelo, Texas. He and his wife have been there for about four and a half decades and raising family. They're two daughters, and it, here it says seven grandchildren and a great-grandchild, I believe. Isn't that correct? Isn't that what I heard? Man, oh, man, I don't know what I'd do if I... Oh, wait a minute. Anyway, sometimes you forget which one's which, but uh, it, it is a blessing. He, it, he, they have been a blessing in San Angelo for many, many years in the congregation there, and uh, we are very thankful, very fortunate. I do want to tell you that... Uh, a couple of the preachers in town said, now who are you having speak after affirming the faith? I said, well, I signed up for Paul Shiro to be here. And he says, oh, wait, uh, we really wanted Paul Shiro at our place. And somebody said, well, I'll give you two Jeff Jenkins for one Paul Shiro. <laughs> no, they didn't really say that, but uh, there was a joke or two told. But he, I was very fortunate. You know, if you're on the committee that that puts the thing together, you have an inside track, and you get to get one of the better speakers and so forth. Anyway, uh, we're truly blessed, and we're thankful that you can be with us, Paul. Uh, Patsy and I are so glad to be here. This is a, a real treat for us. We don't get to get out very often, and we're really appreciate you guys having uh, been kind to us and inviting us to be here with you. And uh, I, I'm not going to say anything about Jeff. My mother taught me to, or uh, Russ either. My mother said if you can't say, if you can't say something nice about somebody, just don't say anything. So, so. we uh, in our uh, Bible class today, we talked about the book of Hebrews, and so we're going to stay in there. We're going to get over here to chapter 12 of Hebrews, and we're going to talk about worship. That is a very important subject today. It's very relevant. You might know, but we are in what people who are historians and thoughtful people say are in the worship wars, and this is where everything is being reevaluated, and people are are um, deciding what really worship is, and uh, and there's a lot of arguments about it, and a lot of congregations dividing over it, and and uh, lots of books being written about it, and lots of things going on, and I I would like for us to just see what God says about it. Okay, that's what we're going to do because that's what we're we're wanting to do. And in the Bible, there's there's two expressions that are very similar. In some ways, they sound a lot alike, and in other ways, they're very similar in what happens. One is called the Day of the Lord, and the other is called the Lord's Day. And, you know, they're not exactly the same, but they are similar. Both are describing an appointment with God. 
The day of the Lord is an appointment that is compulsory. You're going to be there. No one is going to escape it. And that's when God shows up. And in most of the places where you see that described, he's describing judgment. That God is, uh, uh, appears and he comes to set things right. And to, uh, He's like in the parables when the king comes home and uh, calls his servants into account. That would be the day of the Lord. No one escapes it. And when that day comes... Uh, we, we are going to be there. There's another phrase that's also an appointment with God, and it's called the Lord's Day. Uh, we would think of it as Sunday. This is the day that uh, we meet with God, but we are invited to come into his presence, and he promises that he will be there. The worship wars are about the Lord's Day. Uh, and uh, in chapter of the book of Hebrews, we see, uh, the, you know what the writer of Hebrews does, he just takes us to the, the heights of everything. He takes us to the, 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 who the, the great high priest is. Matter, matter of fact, he takes us through the tabernacle, and he, we examine everything that you could think of in the, in the tabernacle, and he points to Jesus every time. When, when you walk up to the tabernacle and you see that altar, that bronze altar where sins are dealt with, well, that's Jesus, of course. And, and when, when you see the, the labor where the priests are washing themselves, well, that's Jesus, of course. And, and when, you, when you go in there and you look to one side and you see the table with the bread on it, well, Jesus is the bread of life. And when you look to the other side and you see the lampstands, well, he's the light of the world. And when you go up to that smaller altar where Incense is being burned and prayers are being made. Well, of course, that, that's, that's Jesus. The curtain represents Jesus. He's the only way to get, you have to go through him to get to God. And, and the priest that brings the, the blood of the goat into, the, into that place from once a year, the high priest goes in. Well, that priest is, is Jesus. That's, that's Jesus. And, and the blood that he takes, the sacrifice he takes, well, that's Jesus too. Matter of fact, if you could take the top off of the tabernacle and look at it straight down, you would see even the furniture is in the shape of a cross. If you read the Gospel of John, you see the same thing. It's a theme that runs all through the scriptures, and it's all about how we, how we survive this appointment with God. The tabernacle was a wonderful thing because the whole system was wonderful because it was an act of grace on God's part to provide it because he says sinful people can't survive in my presence. I can't tolerate sin. They're all sinful. And so he provides a way so that sinful people could get close to God, make their sacrifices, make their appeals, and not die. What a wonderful thing. The fact that it was so strict and so rigid and so structured, well, that's fine because he's telling us how we're going to survive this encounter with God. And we have to have God. We have to have him. He has everything we need, and we can do nothing without him. And so this whole idea, and, and the book of Hebrews is saying there's a better way. In old times, God spoke through prophets and burning bushes and angels and at one time with a donkey, you know. But now he speaks perfectly through his son. At one time, worship was carried out with fear and trembling because we just have to get it right. And, and now we have this glorious opportunity to come into his presence, and he, and he hears us. And what he's doing after he tells us all of this about 
the Old Testament worship, all about the wilderness especially, all about God. He, in chapter 12, he comes down and he's talking to us about Mount Sinai. That's where it all started with that mosaic system. Mount Sinai, where God shows up. God comes down and settles on that mountain. It is such a traumatic experience, the world could hardly hold it together. The ground trembles. The sky is filled with smoke. At trumpets and fire and sound, you could smell it in the air. You could feel it as the ground trembled. You could see the mountain quaking. You could hear, at least at the very beginning of this, you could hear the voice of God telling what he wants from the people. And the people were terrified. If we're reading in the Old Testament, we would see that the people were afraid and they backed up. Moses was afraid and he walked forward. That tells you something about Moses. The, he's, he's describing this event that is so important that it, it, is a, it was a matter of life and death for these people. So he says, verse 18, We've not yet come. We've not come to what may be touched. A blazing fire, darkness, gloom, tempest, the sound of a trumpet, the voice whose words made the hearers entreat that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. The only human being that really knew anything, he knew everything about God, that God would tell anybody. He was as close as anybody could be, and he's terrified. If Moses is terrified, what happens to the rest of us? He sees, that's not what we're talking about. Indeed, that was a great day. It was an amazing day. If I could get in a time capsule and go anywhere in history, I, I would want to go, I would want to see Jesus in the boat preaching to the multitude. I'd want to be on the mountain and hear that. But if I couldn't go to the days of Jesus, I would go to the Sinai. I wouldn't want to be very close, but I'd want to see it, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? What a day. What a marvelous day. When God is saying, I haven't given up on you. When God is saying, I want to have fellowship with you. I'm going to live in that tent in the middle of your camp. I'm going to be as close to you as I've ever been since the garden. I'm going to be there. I'll be close to you. You can actually pray to me. You can actually, I will take care of you. I will be your God and you'll be my people. That's, that was a grand and glorious day. He said, but that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about something else. And because the theme of the book of Hebrews is better, we're talking about something better. Well, what could be better than that? What could be better than being where the sounds of, of God are all around you, where the air is electric, where your hair is standing up on the end, you're, you're so close to something that's out of this world, you, you can smell it, you can feel it, the ground is trembling. It is, it's, what could be better than that? Well, he's going to tell us. He's going to tell us about Christian worship. And he's going to tell us some things about it that maybe you haven't thought about. And I'm going to tell you something. If it wasn't written right here in the Word of God, I wouldn't tell you because it is incredible what he's telling us, promise us. The Lord's Day. What happens when we have this assembly in the presence of God? What is, what is going on here that beats what Moses had? What is here that beats the miraculous visitation of God on the earth? 
What could beat having a mountain for God's pulpit and him sit there and tell us exactly? What could be better? Moses, when he spent time with God, his face glowed. You know, what could beat that? He's going to tell us. And he's going to tell us what's happening when Christians come together by faith in obedience to God and worship him. You already know that God promises where two or three are gathered together. I'm there. You know that. But look at what he's telling us here. And he gives us some things that are you're going to have to buckle up. You're going to have to think about it. You're going to have to, you're going to, have to hold on to this. And this is all by faith that we know it. But look at what he says. The first thing he tells us, we're going to read a few verses, then we'll go through them. He says in verse 22, But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem, to the innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to the judge who is God, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks more graciously than the blood of Abel. I think one reason we have the wars that we're having, that we have the arguments that we're having, is that we just don't know this. We don't know what's really happening here. What is he telling us happens here? When Christians come together to worship him in spirit and truth, what happens? First thing that happens, read it, verse 22. The first thing that happens, we are somehow, please hang on, we are somehow in two places at once. Now, this is, you can only believe this by faith. You can't see it. But here's God promising us. He's talking about a different mountain than Sinai, of course. He's not talking about as great as that was. What happened on Mount Zion was greater what happened on that Pentecost Sunday when, when the gospel was being preached and people came to Jesus and were baptized and, and the Spirit of God entered them? What was, what, this is better than that, but he's telling us there's something going on with us that's better than this. Listen to me. He says, we're talking about Mount Zion but we're also talking about the heavenly Jerusalem that comes down from heaven. I, oh, it makes your brain smoke, doesn't it, to think about it. Here we are. This, we are in the middle of Oklahoma. The church has come together here. That's where we are. There's no doubt about it. But we're also somewhere else. We're also in the presence of God. We're also where he is. He's, he's describing something for us that ought to make us shiver a little bit. It, it ought to make us back up and, what do we sing? Fall on our knees. It ought to make us approach him on bended knees. It ought to make us do what Moses did. When God's talking to him at that burning bush, what is he doing? He's on his face on the ground. This is extremely important. If you're going to try to explain to somebody, what does it mean to be two places at once? I don't know. I know a little bit. I know that right now I'm with you, and, I'm, and a part of my brain is at Southgate. I'm wondering if some of the people that have been visiting are there. You know how we do. But it's more than that. Because by faith, he's telling us that this is something 
I know you don't know me very well, but you need to, you need to hang on here. It means that there's something that's out of this world that's happening when Christians come together. We're here, but we're also there. But he doesn't stop with that. Look at the next thing he tells us. He says, wherever there is, is where the angels are. He said the myriads of angels in festal gathering. We don't know near what we'd like to know about angels. I told a fellow one time who's a lot smarter than me and been in the faith a long time, I said, I wish there was five more pages on angels in the Bible. He said, if there were, you'd just have more questions than you have now. If God hadn't told you anything about angels, you wouldn't have one question. But because he's told you a few things, and so I wonder, what does it mean when, they're, when they children's angels stand before God and face him? I wonder about that, don't you? And we see angels do lots of stuff in the Bible. We see them bringing messages from God, faithfully bringing messages. We see in Revelation them bringing our prayers into the presence of God. We see them running message trips back and forth. We see them smiting God's enemies. We see them strengthening God's faithful. But most of the time, when you see an angel, what is he doing? He's worshiping God. In the book of Revelation, we would see there's millions of angels, thousands of thousands, and what are they doing? They're singing praises to God. They're talking about how you made everything and how, how you, we belong to you. We're, you made us. We honor you. We give you all glory. We see them singing to the Jesus, and they're saying, by your blood, you're ransomed men for God, and because of that, you, you have all honor, all praise, all glory. That's what we see angels doing. And we know how many people are here, but we're also there. And that's in an assembly like we can't imagine. How many are there? Thousands of thousands. That means millions. How amazing are there? When people saw angels, they thought they were talking to God. They thought it was. It was so much bigger and so much grander. And, and he says, we're where they are. We're where they are. And then he tells us, verse 23, he tells us we're also in the assembly of the firstborn. You know we are separated by distance. So many people that I love are a couple of hundred miles away from here, maybe a little farther than that, seemed like a long way. Every Lord's Day, somewhere way east of us, Christians start assembling. Now, I'm not talking about cults. I'm not talking about false religions. I, I don't know anything about them. I don't care. I, but, but Christians, people who've been bought with the blood of Jesus, who are brothers and sisters, they're, they're assembling. Sometimes the groups are real small. Sometimes they're in locked rooms with lookouts posted. Sometimes they're in prison somewhere. Sometimes they're under a tree or in a tent. Sometimes they're in houses of worship. But they start coming together. They speak different languages. And they're singing songs that we don't know, but God knows them. 
If you've ever been in one of those places, you know that even though you don't understand a word anybody's saying, you know exactly what they're doing. And every now and then you get a word or a scripture and you know something amazing about the word of God. I was in Poland one time, a long time ago, and I was left at a house with a guy that couldn't speak one word of English and I couldn't speak one word of Polish. He was a Christian, I was a Christian. He said, hallelujah, and I said, hallelujah. He said, Jesus, and I said, Jesus. And we hallelujahed in Jesus for a while, but we ran out of conversation that way. He was smarter than I was. He got his Bible out, and he starts looking, and he finds a, a verse, and he points at it, and I could tell what book, chapter, and verse he was looking at, and it was a greeting. So I found a greeting and gave him back. Then he showed me something else, and I showed him something. We talked about our family. We talked about the church. We talked about Jesus. We talked about our baptism. And all the words we were saying were words we, the other person didn't know, but we had this code book we were using. On the Lord's Day, it's sort of like that. Although these people are speaking Chinese and Russian and Ukrainian and all kinds of other languages, African languages and stuff, as, as the, the day begins, they begin to assemble and they begin to worship God. And although we're separated from them by time and space and language and culture, God's not because they're in Christ. That means that you never worship in a small church because you're part of an amazing assembly, not only with the angels, but you're also, you're also with all the Christians we're worshiping God today. It staggers you, doesn't it? It staggers you. But that's not all. He also tells us we're in two places at once. We're where the angels are, and we're with all other Christians who've come together. But he also tells us that we're with God, the judge of all. He promises he'll be here in this assembly on the Lord's day. But the wonder of wonders is today he doesn't come as the judge to judge everyone. Today he comes to receive our our prayers. He comes to, to answer our needs. He comes to forgive our sins. He comes to accept our praise. He comes to hear us sing. He comes to, to listen to our prayers. We have not just two places at once or with the angels. If that was it, that would be wonderful. We'd, be, we'd, we'd, we'd want to be part of that, not even with all these other Christians around the world. And, 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 you know, God doesn't, have, we don't have to speak some different language for God. He knows them all, you know. And all of that is coming together, but we're there with him. And he loves us. And he wants to save us. 
And he did all of this so that we could be in his presence. But that's not all. It's not only two places at once, and one is where the angels are and where God is and where all other Christians are. Hang on. He says we're also in this with the spirits of just men made perfect. I finally got old enough that I know more people in heaven than I know here. And some of those people, oh, have they blessed my life. Some of those people were giants. Some of those people. My daddy taught me how to preach, but my mother taught me how to pray. And she loved me, but boy, did she love Jesus. I'm thinking about another fellow. You might know him. His name was Ken White. He was an elder in Oklahoma when I lived there, and then he lived in Louisiana, and he's gone on now, but he was a wonderful man. He was so kind, so sweet, so evangelistic, so spiritual. One time we were on a trip. We were going somewhere up here in Oklahoma, and we stopped to eat lunch. And the waitress was terrible. You ever been in a place like that? I mean, she didn't care what we asked for. She brought us what she wanted to. Her food was all wrong. She put, just sort of slammed the food down, walked off, and ignored us. I wanted to leave her a nickel. I thought that way she wouldn't think I just forgot. But Ken, he was paying for the meal, and he, he put $20 on the table. This is 50 years ago. $20. I said, what are you doing? He said, what do you care? It's not your money. We're, we're almost out of the restaurant, and she comes running up to us, and she's holding that $20. She said, sir, I think you made a mistake. I wish you knew him. He took the money and he put it in her hand and he holds her hand like this and he says, no, baby, that's for you. It's obvious you're having a terrible day and you're taking it out on all of us. And I thought maybe this would help. She starts bawling. That's when I noticed she also had a terrible cold or something, but she's... She's bawling, her eyes are running, her nose is running, and she's crying. And she said, I'm sick. I shouldn't be here. But I had to come because my husband drank up all of our rent, and we're going to get kicked out tonight if I can't come up with some money. And, and so I'm here working, and she's just crying and talking. And he sort of shepherds her over to the bench by the cash register where you wait for a takeout order. And he's sitting there talking to her, and she's crying. He's petting on her, you know. And I'm standing over there feeling like a jerk. <laughs> Finally, she said, what are you, some kind of Christian? And he said, yes, dear. That's what I am. I'm some kind of Christian. A few years later, I preached his funeral, cold day in Medill, Oklahoma. 
I miss Ken. He loved me. He was good to me. He helped me. If I want to get close to Ken White or my mother or a thousand other people that I've known that are godly people, where do I go? Do I go to Medill, Oklahoma and go find that grave with his name on it? Is that what I do? No. Do, do I go try to find that cafe and sit on that bench? No. I go to church because he said, this is the place. What, what do you think people are doing? What do you think that great crowd of people that you see in Revelation, what are they doing? What are those, those people who were murdered for God? Where are they? They're under the throne of God. I don't want to get weird here, but this is bigger than you think. What we have going for us in Christ is eternally significant. What we have going when we are allowed to come and worship him goes beyond miles and time and space and even life and death. We're worshiping God. And we're in two places at once. One of them is where the angels are. One of them is where God is. One of them is in the place with all other Christians that are worshiping him. And he says, and the spirits of just men made perfect. But that's not all. He says Jesus is there. And to Jesus, the mediator. Without him, we can do nothing. We sing, don't we? Peter would tell us that there's no other name under heaven whereby we must be saved. It's in the name of Jesus that prayers are answered, and it's through the blood of Jesus that we actually have access to God and that he forgives our sins. There's nobody else like him. And he actually promised, I'll be there where two or three are gathered together in my name. So we're in two places at once. One's where God is. One's where the angels are. Where other Christians are. Where even Christians who've passed on, where they are. And where Jesus is. But that's not all. He also says, and to the blood... The sprinkled blood that speaks more graciously than the blood of Abel. We look at the blood of Abel and what do we think about? We think about sin, don't we? We think about how far we can get from God. We, we know it's... But the blood also tells us that God hasn't given up on us. And he's provided us a way. I told the story last night, I think. Night before last. If I didn't, I should have. Meant to. One time my little grandson's weapon helping Patsy wash dishes. I don't know how old he was, little bitty boy standing on a chair, and he's doing the rinsing. And he started singing, What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. 
Any way you sing it, it blesses you. You can say, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Wonderful, wonderful. And this is where we find it. We remember it when we take the Lord's Supper. When we're baptized, we're baptized in water, but we're making contact with that blood. It is the most significant thing that ever happened in the history of mankind, and we have a right to be in the presence of God because of it. And when we worship, it's there. And I, I know a lot of people are offended by blood, and they don't want to talk about it and everything. What? that's describing something else totally with those people. It's the need for the blood that people are offended with. But we need it. And this is where you find it. He ends this passage by telling us, Therefore, verse 28, let us be grateful. Of course, we ought to be happy and grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. You name off the things that makes God God, the qualities that he has. He knows everything, doesn't he? He knows everything. He's everywhere. He's eternal. He is, has all power. If he didn't have this last one, this wouldn't be good news. He loves you. Now, I think people just don't know this. Otherwise, we wouldn't say, if I'm going to be silly here, if we don't have balloons, I'm not coming. Or whatever else that we decided fits our fancy. If you want to have balloons, Go to a pizza place and have a party. But if you want to come into the presence of God, where the angels are, where all Christians are assembling, and you want to be a part of that, be glad you're here and pay close attention. He says, since we know this, what should we do? Or we should make it our effort to worship him, to be acceptable to him. And to be grateful that we're here. In the Old Testament on the Day of Atonement, it was a great day. It was a scary day. I have read that some of the priests actually sewed bells in their garments. So if they went into the temple and they did something wrong and they were struck dead, someone could pull them out of there. They'd tie a rope to their foot, you know. It's scary things to being in the presence of God. But when that priest was praying that prayer over, the, over that goat, and he's about to send it into the wilderness, and he's saying, God, you know who we are. You know that we're wretched. You know we're sinners. You know we're liars. You know we're, we covet. You know that we're adulterous people. You know that we steal. You know who we are. Please, God, hear our prayer. And when that goat would leave to be taken into the wilderness, what do you think the people did? They cheered. It's good news or grateful. I am so sorry that my sins put Jesus on the cross. 
But I'm so grateful that he went there. And why do you think the angels in this assembly would say, and by thy blood did ransom men for God? And we get to be here. There's nothing to argue about. We know what this is about. A fellow told me one time, a young college kid was going to church with us, and he said, I like you people. I really do. But do you know you're... Your worship is really boring. I said, I'm sure it is. He said, really? I said, if I'm reading a book and it's a good book, I'm having a ball. If you're sitting over there watching me read, it's not going to be much fun, is it? I said, if you're looking for a concert, you need to go somewhere else. But if you'd ever try to worship, you're going to find it's a wonderful thing. Some of the songs we sang today kind of brought a tear to you, didn't it? Why? Not only do you know it's true what we're singing about, but you also know who's listening. And it's a glorious thing. Maybe you didn't know before today, but you know that there's more people there listening than you thought. Wouldn't that be something? Isn't that wonderful? Let's give to God acceptable worship. Everything else has to be said. He loves us. He's there to save us. But he's still God. And he's told us what he wants. So we need to make it our aim, as Paul would say, to please him. I don't know what your tradition is here, but if there's something you need to do to get right with God, this is the place to do it. This is where forgiveness can be found. It's where the blood is. And you need to be a part of all of that. If there's sin in your life, this is the time to do it. These people love you, and they'll help you. And the mediator, Jesus, is here to take you home. Won't you come to him while we stand and sing?